right, as you're being seated, take your copy of God's Word, turn to Numbers chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 9. You might want to slide over before I read that story. I'm going to reference John 3 as well, so you can look at both of those and be ready. But uh, just as a way of introduction, Bill Wise was in my office uh, earlier this week, and he said, what are you going to preach on? What's your text going to be? And I said, well, I'm going to preach on Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. It's Moses holding up the snake on a pole in the wilderness. And he said, what is it with the snakes? He said, enough with the snakes already. He said, last week Philip talked about snakes. Now you're talking about snakes. Not a fan of the snakes. And I went, okay, I get it. If that's kind of your phobia, uh, we talked about that a little bit, but I had already really chosen this passage before Philip uh, chose the Genesis 3 passage, and so we're going to go with the snakes today, all right? And uh, what, what Philip talked with me about, we were visiting about this series, we want to take some Old Testament passages that point to Jesus. And this text is a perfect text because we know without a shadow of a doubt that this story, which is true, foreshadows our salvation in Jesus Christ. And the reason is because if you go to John chapter 3, looking at verses 14 and 15, listen. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. The theme of his discussion with Nicodemus is about how to have eternal life. And he shares something with him in verses 14 and 15 where he points to this very true story in Numbers 21. Look what Jesus says to Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So he says, Nicodemus knew that story, and he says, that story is about me. That story will foreshadow me. That story points to me. And so let's look at the story in Numbers 21, beginning verse 4. Here's what it says. Then they set out uh, from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water. We loathe this miserable food. The Lord then sent fiery servants among the people. They bit the people so that the people died. Many of the people died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard or on a pole. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the serpent, the bronze serpent, he lived. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We need you. Uh, we need this truth today. Every one of us need this truth today. And I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes clearly to the teaching of this text so that we might not just believe it, we may not just amen it, but we would live it out, even this week, for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now here's the first thing we need to see. 
First thing we look at the story, we see mankind's condition in verses 4 and 5. Look what it says, the last part of 4. The people became impatient because of the journey. They spoke against God and Moses. You brought us out of Egypt uh, to die in the wilderness. We're going to die here. There's no food. There's no water. What we have, we loathe as far as food. And so essentially, here's mankind's condition. Mankind's needy. We have need. Now, here's the deal. We don't like to admit we have need, okay? We really don't, if we're honest. We, we want to kind of put our best foot forward around people. We, we want people to, to not see us as we are, but maybe as we, we wish we could be. We want to appear better than we really are. For example, I knew I was going to preach this morning, okay? I've been known I'm going to preach for several weeks. So all this week, I ate mostly salads, Are you with me? Do I have an amen? I ate mostly salads. Why? Because I don't know what I'm going to look like on the screen. You know, I got to, you know, I don't know what the screen's going to show. I don't know if it makes you bigger or littler. I don't get that. I didn't Google it, okay? But, and also wore a dark shirt. Hello. This was no accident. This was planned. Jamie, take the dark shirt to the cleaners. I have a reason, all right? I want to appear skinnier than I really am, all right? So I mostly ate salads this week. Listen, again, in verses 4 and 5, here's what we see in 4 and 5. They sinned in two ways. They spoke against God and Moses. They were impatient, selfish. They complained. They thought they were going to die. Watch this. Their need revealed their sin. In verse 7, they said, we have Sin And the result of sin, we know in Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. And that word death means eternal separation, that I'm in my sin, and if, if I don't do something about it, if I don't, and, and we're going to see what you need to do in a minute, but if I don't do something about it, then I will be eternally separated from the God of this universe, and there will be judgment. Hebrews 9 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So we need to, all of us, and at some point we all did if we've come, put our faith and trust in Christ, but if you're, you're here today and you're, you're still studying about or thinking about putting your faith in Jesus and you're not sure about becoming a Christian, the first thing you've got to do is realize that you've sinned. You know, with children, we, I've seen this thing used, the ABCs of salvation. You've probably seen that as well in Vacation Bible School, for example. A is admit you're a sinner. B is believe that Jesus Christ came to die for your sin. C is confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, receive him into your life. But it starts with A, you have to admit you're a sinner. So when I'm talking to people, especially children in my office, and they come, they think they want to be baptized, they want to become a Christian, then the first thing I'll ask them is we'll go to that A, okay, where they need to admit that they're a sinner. But I'll start out like this. I'll say, can you define sin for me? And most of the time they nail it. They get, they get what sin is. But then the second thing I want to share with them is I want to make it personal. Then I say, I ask them this, have you sinned? Have you sinned? Because it's important that they realize not just what sin is, but that they have sinned against a holy and righteous and perfect God. And so there was one time several years ago in Brownwood that I had a, had a boy in my office and his parents were there. And so I asked him the first question, all right? Do you know what sin is? He nailed it. So far, so good. Then I said, well, let me ask you, have you sinned? At that point, he starts rubbing his chin. He looks up at the ceiling, and he looks down at the floor, and he starts tapping his foot. And 
he's not giving me an immediate answer like most kids do. And I said, well, let me help you out here. Have your parents sinned? And he looks at mom and dad and doesn't want to throw them under the bus. So he rubs his chin and he looks up and he's rubbing his eyes and tapping on the floor. And he's just struggling. Does mom and dad sin? And I said, well, let, let, me, let me try to help you out. Okay, look at me. Have I sinned? He immediately pointed to me and said, yes. <laughs> Seriously, not making this up. I, I wanted to go, okay, dude, you're struggling as to whether or not you have sin or your mom and dad have sin. You barely know me. And you're saying I'm a sinner, which I am, okay? I have sinned, all right? But that's the point, okay? We need to recognize our sin. I want you to listen to me. If you've got a family member you love and you're not sure where they are with Christ, you're not sure about their eternity, or you have a loved one, or you have a, a, a friend, or you have a coworker, or you have a classmate, and you're concerned about where they are spiritually, the first thing you pray is not, Heavenly Father, get them in church. Holy Spirit, take away this sin that really has a, has a grip on their life where they have no victory. I'm not saying those are bad sins, but understand, or, or the bad things to pray, but listen, it's, the scripture is very clear. They need to understand how desperately sin-sick and needy they are. Now, the only way they're going to do that, I want you to listen to me. If you go to Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah looks up in a vision and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. This is really important. I want you to hear this. When he sees Jesus on the throne high and lifted up, okay, he sees the Lord on the throne then he sees himself. Because of the righteousness of the Lord, he sees his sin. He sees himself clearly as the righteousness of the Lord shines on him. And his first reaction in verse 5, I'll read it to you, says this. Then I said, woe is me. I am ruined. One translation says, I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. And here's how he knew this. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Listen, you have that friend, that coworker, that classmate, that family member, that loved one, and you want to make sure that you get to see them in eternity. Your number one prayer for them is not they need to get in church, need to get this sin out of their life. The number one prayer is, Holy Spirit, remove their blinders, help them to see a clear picture of who Jesus is. And I'm convinced if they see very clearly who Jesus is and what he has done for them, they will immediately see their condition, their need, and they will cry out to him to be their Lord and Savior. Listen, it's important that we see man's condition. Needy, sinful, dying, and will face judgment. Now that's the condition. That sounds like bad news, but here's the good news. God has a plan. And in this Old Testament story, we see the mercy and grace and love of God. We saw that the people uh, really were in rebellion. They were essentially, and all that they said in verses 4 and 5 is, God, we hear you. We just don't want to live life your way. We want to live life our way. And so they were in rebellion. And God could have said, okay, if you don't want me, I mean, I want you. But if you don't want me, then fine, I'll destroy you and I'll start all over. But in his love and mercy and grace, he did not do that. He provided a remedy. And the remedy, lo and behold, was another snake. So you're thinking, aren't there enough snakes in camp already? 
going around biting everybody? You know, didn't they cause the trouble to begin with? And, 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 and uh, God told Moses, uh, make this serpent out of bronze and, and put it on a standard or a pole and set it up and let the people look at it and tell them if they will just look at the snake on the pole, the serpent on the pole, they will live. Now, when Jesus says that story points to me, then that means that the snake on the pole is Jesus. So that confused me the first time I heard this story. I don't get that. Because even we saw last week that the first time the snake shows up, it's Satan. When I think of snakes, I think of evil. And Jesus is perfect. How could he be the snake on the pole? Here's the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do not ever forget that verse. Memorize that verse. Here's what it says. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin. That's the picture there. That's what we see is that Jesus became sin. He took on your sin and my sin. Galatians 3.13 says it another very powerful way. Look what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Here's the deal. The serpent was not effective in the hand of, of Moses. The serpent was only affected, effective when it was lifted up. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So we need to look at Jesus on the cross like they looked at the, the serpent on the pole, and we need to see Jesus on the cross, listen, paying the penalty of our sin, paying our penalty. Now, that's God's plan. It's a beautiful plan. It's, it's, it's a plan that works. We saw that as they looked up, they began to live. Those that would look in faith would live. But I want to point out four things about this plan that I think are wonderful in this story. God's plan is available. God's plan is available is the first thing. Listen, it doesn't say the this, this snake on the pole was in the center of the camp. I get that. It doesn't say that. But it did say that everyone could see it. So here's the deal. What we know then, if everyone could see it, the snake on the pole had to be in the center of the camp so that all could see it. The snake on the pole was not in a, in a hidden corner where only a few could look up, see the snake in faith, and live and be cured from the snake bite. It had to be available to all where all could see. What does the scripture say? Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the remedy for sin is available to us all. The pastor shared this verse last week, and I knew I was going to preach on this, and immediately I wrote this verse down. I thought, that's a good verse. So I'm going to share it again. It's in Romans 5.18, and here's what it says. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, look at this, so that one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for what? All men. Not a select few. All people. So it's available, but it's not only available, but it's free. It, didn't, it did not cost the Israelite sinners one thing to look and live. What does Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely free. It cost him everything, but it cost me nothing to look and live. It cost me nothing. Now, it's also sufficient. 
It's also sufficient. The dying were not saved by looking at the serpent and then doing something else is my point. Listen to this. Moses didn't say the word of the Lord is look to the serpent and then be sure you keep the law and you will live. He didn't say, here's the word of the Lord. Look to the the bronze serpent on the pole and then come make a sacrifice and then you'll live. He didn't say, look at the serpent on the pole and then promise to do better and try harder and then you will live. He said, look at the serpent on the pole and you will live. It isn't Christ plus something else. For you and me, it would be, it isn't Christ plus church attendance. It isn't Christ plus baptism. It isn't Christ plus anything else. Jesus is absolutely sufficient to save you today. Now, I know, especially with American Christianity, my dad kind of taught me, don't take any free gifts. Don't take anything free. You work hard for everything you get. You want to make sure you earn it. So there's this mentality we have, if we're not careful, and we, we, we try to, every Sunday here, we talk about Jesus is sufficient, okay? But there's something in us that, well, there ought to be something we must do. Surely, I have to do some sort of work to come to salvation in Christ. And some people came to Jesus in John chapter, chapter 6, I think it's verse 28 and 29, and here's what they said. I'm glad that the, the story is there. It's pretty brief, just a couple of verses. But it helps me realize this idea that I even go, man, what have I got to do? It seems like there ought to be something I need to do to be saved. What's my part to play? And here's what they said. What works do we do to work the works of God? John 6. You can go look it up. What works do we do to work the works of God? They're going, what do we need to do? That's just the mentality, even even of the Jewish people, certainly, and the Jewish religion was essentially, okay, we got to work. We got to do, we got to check, check the list. What works do we do to work the works of God? And here's what Jesus said. Because there really is one work you do. Here's what Jesus said. To work the works of God, believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in him whom he has sent. The author of salvation is almighty God in sending his son Jesus. He does the work of salvation, but you do have a responsibility. Here's what your responsibility is. When you hear that gospel message and the Holy Spirit removes those blinders and you see the glory of Jesus and you see your sin, you cry out to him, Lord, I need you come into my life. Your one job you're doing is I'm in. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I don't want to run my life anymore. I want God to run it through Jesus Christ. So his healing is sufficient. But also, it's immediate healing. Salvation's really not a process. Sanctification is. Holiness is. Growing in Christ is a process. But salvation is not one step at a time. It's immediate. How do I know that? Well, I just look at many examples I could give you. When Jesus was on the cross and the one thief looked at him and said, Remember me. That's his confession. See, it's really pretty simple. We make it harder than it ought to be, really. He looked at him, he said, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. See, salvation's immediate. It's immediate. 
The scripture says when one sinner is converted, what happens in heaven? The angels rejoice. My translation, the angels kick off a party in heaven that moment when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus. When I was nine years old in Midland, Texas, I hit my knees and I asked the Lord as best I could as a nine-year-old. I just know, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says at that moment, listen to me, my name was written, even as a nine-year-old, at that moment, it's immediate. Salvation's immediate. My name was written in the Lamb's book of life, never, ever to be erased. That moment. So we see the gospel in this story. It's available, it's free, it's sufficient. There's immediate healing. That is the truth of the gospel. Now it's decision time. What do we do with that truth? It's absolutely true. What do we do with it? Well, we have to believe it. Man's response, if you're going to live, is to listen to the word of the Lord, obey God, stop your rebellion, and have faith. The people had a plan which was remove the serpents. If you remember back to the story, I won't read it, but they said, hey, get rid of these serpents. That sounds like a pretty good plan. If the serpents go away, we're going to be fine. That was their plan. God's plan was look and live. So the answer to move from death to life is not just to ignore the bites and pretend the sin is no big deal. I mean, you know, sin's, I guess it's bad, but it, it doesn't really hurt that bad. And after all, no one's perfect. We could Talk about those excuses all day long. Sin's just not that big a deal. I don't, I'm not as big a sinner as that other person. I think I'm, I'm okay, you're okay kind of thing. It also isn't a man-made solution. Man-made solution would be just conquer the serpents. Con the, the, the snakes represent the, the bite of sin. So the man-made solution is just, you know, conquer sin on your own. I mean, I got to think about that story and I thought, you know, it doesn't say, I mean, it, obviously more happened than even literally was there, but what would you and I do? I mean, if snakes started moving around my tent, I would go find a club. I'd go find something. I'd try to beat the snakes to death, wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. Uh, every now and then in a Facebook post, you've seen this, somebody, and we'll see it in the spring, okay, snakes are coming out. They're going to take a picture of a snake and go, does anybody know what kind of snake this is? You see what I'm talking about? Anybody know what kind of snake this is? And invariably someone puts down there, well, I don't know, but I'll tell you, if it came around me, it would be a dead one. See, the solution we have many times, let's just beat the snake to death. It's a man-made solution. I'm just going to work harder and harder and harder and harder to conquer the sin in my life. Let me share one other thing. Here's a beautiful truth in this scripture in Numbers. The snake on the pole was not lifted up in the tabernacle. I want you to listen to me. Because this is where we get hung up. The snake on the pole was not lifted up in the tabernacle. Moses could have said, okay, I'm going to go to the tabernacle. Everybody come to church. We're going to lift up the snake. And you look at it, you're going to live. No, it was, it was lifted up in the center of camp, and here's why. Religious activity will not save you. Being religious will not save you. Salvation will come through looking by faith to the uplift, up, uplifted serpent in the center of camp. It did for them, for us, the uplifted Jesus on Golgotha.
By grace you've been saved through faith. It doesn't say by grace you've been saved through understanding. I can picture this. This is the way my mind works. You've got the tents all around in the camp and a man crawls in. He'd been bitten by the snake. He crawls into the tent and his wife goes, what's going on? I got bit by a snake. I, I can't breathe real well. I, I'm feeling pretty sick. I, I can feel the poison going through my body. I'm in trouble. She said, well, you heard Moses just crawl back out there and look up at that bronze serpent and you will live. And I can just hear him say, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. That's stupid. I mean, again, the snakes cause this problem to begin with. That's dumb. I'm bitten by a snake. The answer can't be to look at a snake. I don't understand what's going on. And because I think it's a stupid idea and it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to do it. I'm sure many of them, if probably none of them, really totally understood. For by grace you are saved through faith, not totally understanding. They just believed and they looked. They believed and they looked. That phrase means this, look to believe. It's not just a quick glance, okay, I'll do whatever, boom, whatever. It's look to believe. John 1.12 says this, okay, all who believe and all who receive, he gives them right to become children of God. This is a look of faith. I trust God. I believe God. I believe his plan. I'm going to go with God's plan. I'm looking to believe. So what do you believe? You believe that Jesus is the only way. That's what you believe. That there is one God and our sin separates us from the one God and the only way I can have a relationship with God. Listen, heaven's going to be awesome, but if your only reason to want to come to Jesus and look and live is so you can go to heaven, that's not a great reason. It's an okay reason. Sounds like it's the best reason. It's not the best reason. The best reason is you get to have a relationship with the God of this universe. That's the best reason. And I love Thomas. John chapter 14, they're in the upper room. He's in the upper room with, with his disciples. And he says, I'm going to go away. I love questioning Thomas. I don't call him doubting Thomas. I call him questioning Thomas. He, Thomas, he just questioned a lot, right? Thank goodness, because he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Nice setup. Thomas, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Me. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. says the same thing in a different way, very powerful. There's salvation found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved the name of Jesus now this message appears to be only for those who have never put their faith in Jesus on the surface it appears to be because I can hear some of you now I know how you're thinking hey you know this is good truth but hey I've already looked to this to the Savior I already shared with you uh, when I was nine years old I looked to Jesus and my name's written in the book of life so there Maybe the vast majority of us here have put our faith and trust in Jesus. We are a Christian. And so we're thinking, I've already looked. You know, I'm going to be praying for the one that hadn't looked that's in here. But I'm already good. I'm good. No, this message is for everyone here. Because there's two kinds of folk in this worship center today. 
You're either saved or you're lost. Okay? You're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian. You've either decided to become a follower of Christ or you've not yet decided to become a follower of Christ. You're not sure. So with that in mind, I think this message is for all of us in this room. Because here's a text I want to draw your attention to. In John 10, here's what Jesus says. Why did Jesus come? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, full and meaningful life. So he says two things, and I've always looked at it this way. I've come that you might have life, that's eternal life, and I'm the only way to have eternal life. And then I've come that you might have a full and meaningful life before you get to heaven. That life can start right now. So to the person here that is not a Christian, you've just, you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. The message is look and live to have eternal life. John chapter 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, are upset. And here's what he says in verse 26. Mary and Martha. If anyone lives, listen to this. If you're here today and you have not decided to put your faith in Christ, listen to this. Anyone who lives and believes in me, listen, will never die. That's, a, that's an amazing stuff. I've been to a lot of funerals. Looks like to me people have died, okay? Listen to what it says. Anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So if you're here today and you desire eternal life, the only way is to believe in Jesus. But Christian, you need to look and live as well. You need to look and live in order to have an abundant life. See, the second part is for you. I've come to give life to the full. Because there are some of you here, maybe many of you here today, that you are a follower of Christ. Your name's written in the book of life. You know you're going to go to heaven when you die. But right now, you're not enjoying an abundant life, a full and meaningful life. You're struggling. Maybe there's this sin that dogs you. You cannot have victory over it, and you're going, I don't know what I've got to do. I am not living a full and meaningful life in Jesus right now. I'm not. And, you know, folks, that's the most miserable person on the planet if you live like that. I've been there before. I've been there before. So this message, look and live, is for you to have an abundant life. Now, the problem is the enemy is the accuser And he will try to make you, he'll say things like this to you, okay, in your spirit. He'll whisper in your ear, you call yourself a Christian and you live like that? There's no way you can be a Christian. You see, he condemns you. But the Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want us to do today. Let me share with you one way I believe we can have victory when we feel condemned and we feel that we are not living like we, we should be living, which could be many of us, and times it's all of us. My daughter was talking to me a couple of weeks ago, referencing a different focus, but here's what she said, and I thought it fits right here. She said, what I think we need to do constantly to have victory is take one look at our sin, which means this, God, I confess this is sin in my life. This does not please you. This killed your son on the cross. This is sin. I confess it, and now I repent of it. With your help, I'm not going to do this sin anymore. So, so when I say take a look at your sin, I'm saying look at it that way with confession and repentance. 
But you take one look at, look at your sin, look at this, and ten looks at the cross of Christ. For every one look at your sin, you look at the cross of Christ ten times. For every one look at your sin, you look at the empty tomb ten times. Because you have victory in Jesus. If you look to Jesus, you will live. The Easter sermon series is called Love Reigns. The focus is on love. And right after in John 3, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus shares to Nicodemus, hey, that story's about me, then he says maybe the most well-known and powerful verse in all of Scripture. Then he says, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Author Hebrews says it this way, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Never stop looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray you'll drive it home to us, not just this moment, but even as we go home and we begin to think about this text. Um, God, your word, your truth, I pray you would drive it so deep into our heart that we would be changed. Whether we're not a Christian, the change would be that we would say, I, I must believe in Jesus. I see my sin. I see my need for him. I see Jesus is the answer, and I'm going to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior today. That could happen today, and I pray that it will if you're drawing that person to yourself. And then to the believer and receiver today that their name's written in the book of life and they know they're bound for the promised land, that they know they haven't been living the abundant life, full and meaningful, this side of heaven. They would take one look at their sin, but ten looks at you on the cross, Jesus. One look at their sin and ten looks at the empty tomb. And Father, I pray that they would walk out of here determined to live in such a way to bring you honor and glory. The abundant life is really about pointing to you and bringing you honor and glory. I pray they'll do that today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to continue worship. If you have a decision to make, maybe you feel like you need to join this church, we invite you to come on. You just want to kneel down and pray. Uh, if you want to pray with some staff members, they'll be down front. Whatever decision you may have, even to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you come quickly as we worship together.